The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Good morning. I'm sure each one of you has read the story of Moses in the burning bush in Exodus. This is a story where God calls Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. Moses is incredulous that God is calling him, and he asks, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Even after God shows him signs, Moses still protests. He tells God that he is not eloquent, that he is slow of speech and tongue. But God again commands him to go, and Moses ends up asking God to send someone else. A similar scene happened minus the signs and wonders when God called me to go to India. Never has there been a more unsuitable candidate for a mission trip to India than me. I reminded God of this. I told him that I really, really, really don't like to write. I love bland Canadian food. I'm afraid of wild animals and I'm most happy at home. God responded to me in the same way he did to Moses. I will be with you. So I began the challenging process of writing a series of three messages to teach in India, getting all the travel health shots and boosters, and with Indian visa in hand, I was ready to go. The verse that I repeated to myself each day of this experience is Philippians 4, verse 13. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So, how was God with me on this trip? What did he do with my time and my willingness to obey him? Well, he surrounded me with an amazing group of people to work with. He gave us love for each other and unity every day of the trip. He allowed us to sleep well and gave strength for each day. He allowed me to meet some very dear people in India who will remain in my heart forever. I think of Hannah who looked after my bay bag for me every time I put it down or abandoned it somewhere and who encouraged me with her smiling face every time I spoke. Gracie, who wanted an English copy of the words to the hymn that I sang during one of my talks. I think of Shakti and Laju and Biplab and Preeti and Bobby and Shiny, who showed incredible hospitality to us. The twins who brought their grandma to the women's retreat. Each one of the children with special needs that I met. The teachers I had a chance to visit with in the Christian school. I pray that God used me to encourage them even half as much as they encouraged me. I learned that God truly does equip the called. He walks beside us every step of the way. He sends people to surround us, to pray for us, and to support us in our weakness. And he prepares the way ahead of us so that we can do his work. He promises us in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, this, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You can see it, can't you? Right here. Here is the weakness. 
The images you see on the screen, those are God's power. It was a truly amazing experience, and I'm so thankful I had the opportunity to go. Thank you. Good morning. See, the women all dress like that in India, and the men all dress like this in India. Well, they're Indian clothes anyways. We'll give you that much is true. We got these suits in India, so, so Tim and a few of us have Indian suits. Anyways, let me talk about what I'm... <laughs> let me begin by thanking each one of you for your supporting us in prayer and finances. Our mission to India was an incredible experience, one that will not be forgotten. As a team, we enjoyed great fellowship and developed lasting friendships. This also happened to be the, the case with the wonderful people that we met in West Bengal. Having followed what we believe to have been a call by God to go, this has been a, such a blessing and spiritual enrichment. I trust God has used us in some way, but I know my faith and relationship with God has absolutely grown. I would like to share a small piece of what God is doing in India. My teaching involved sharing principles of spiritual leadership and character from Nehemiah, with the men in the pastor and leaders conference. At one point I asked what burden or mission God had laid on their heart. And then I asked for a few of them to share. First one man rose and said that he believed God wanted him to grow his church to 100 families. And he was already at 15, so he was encouraged. Another man got up beside him and said, I believe God wants me to grow a church in my community to 100 families. Then another guy got up and said, I believe God has called me to grow a church of 100 families. I'm starting to think, well, that's, this is getting a little weird. And then the third, fourth person gets up and he says, I really believe that God has called and put a burden on my heart to grow a church of 100 families. I'm at 100 families now, and now we're, now we're going to try for 1,000. And I thought, that's amazing, but I was still a bit wondering about these stories. Later on that evening, sharing this with Bobby Matthews, one of the men leading the Grace Ashram ministry, I learned that his vision was that 50% of the people in the district that they lived in, called the Alapudwar district, would become Christian. To accomplish this, he had challenged the pastors of the Christian churches in the area to set a goal of building congregations of 100 families. Isn't that awesome? I was totally encouraged and blessed to hear this burden for their people. Now keep in mind, in India, 80% of the population is Hindu, 15% are Muslim, and about 2.5% might be Christian. So it's a pretty audacious goal that they had a one that could only be accomplished if God was in it. Bobby went on to share a story about one pastor who had taken on this vision to grow his congregation, but then came back to Bobby, and he said that in order for him to achieve this mission, he felt he would need a bicycle so he could reach more people. Bobby said that he knew someone who could get the pastor a bike, and the pastor was very excited, until Bobby said this person was Jesus. 
Anyway, they agreed to pray about it. Just over a month later, the pastor excitedly related a story to Bobby. He said that after praying for one month, he received a phone call from a member of a different Christian church in his community. This person said to the pastor that God had told him to buy this pastor a bicycle. So they had gone to the local store and the Christian bought this pastor the best bike in the store. As a result of this answer to prayer, the pastor's faith was strengthened and he knows he can trust God for other kingdom requests. This also showed Bobby's faith and courage to challenge the pastor to take this need to God. Now I could have shared a whole number of other stories and experiences, but this was one that I could see how God was really at work in that part of India. I went there to see if I could share something useful for them in pursuing God-given burdens, and I was taught that they already had this covered. I could see that God was moving in tangible ways to help them as they followed his call in obedience. And I learned that God is absolutely actively working all around the globe. Through a personal relationship with him by the Holy Spirit, he is inviting us to join him in his work. By hearing his voice to go to West Bengal, I followed in obedience to participate in what small way I could to contribute to this work that God was already doing through his faithful servants there. What was also encouraging was the teaching prepared by the rest of our team was amazingly aligned and dovetailed together so well. In John chapter 5, Jesus is responding to the Jewish leaders for the opposition he was getting from them. And in verse 17, he says, My father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. And then he goes on in verse 19 to say, Very truly I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. Years ago, in a study on knowing and doing the will of God, I learned that God is always at work around us, and through a personal and real relationship with us, he invites us to join him in his work. In India, we absolutely saw that God was actively at work. In his prompting us to go to India, it was to join him in this work, but it was also to demonstrate his faithfulness as he supported and guided us. As we join God in obedience, he shows up. And our faith is strengthened as he faithfully gives us all that we need to fulfill that calling. That was my experience. I learned it as I studied and taught about Nehemiah and the Jewish people. I saw it as I observed and interacted with the Christians in West Bengal. And I experienced it personally as I followed God's call to join him in India. May God continue to use this congregation to join him in his work, in our daily lives, in remote communities, and abroad. Thank you. Hello, it's me again. Uh, this time I'm not singing for you, but would share my experience on my visit to West Bengal. Uh, this was my second visit, and the most unexpected thing uh, that inspired my heart is, uh, two days after we arrived in uh, West Bengal, we attended Pastor Biblap's Baptist Church in Jalpeguri. After the service, Biblap uh, requested the congregation to come forward for blessings and prayers from our team, 
And as usual to Indian culture, the men were on one side and the women were on the other side. The women crowded to the front and uh, there was a lady who was able to translate some of their prayer requests to us so that we can pray for them. While we were listening to their request, a young girl about 13 or 14 years old came around to my side, you can see her picture, and uh, touched my arm. I turned uh, my face, looked at her, and thought that she would want something from me. She wanted to say something to me. And uh, she fell on my feet, which I didn't expect it. I felt like I'm not worthy for someone to fall on my feet. So I quickly bent down to lift, lift her up, knowing, not knowing why she was doing that. Then uh, she got up and lifted her long skirt that she was wearing a little to show her ankle to me. I couldn't believe my eyes to see her badly infected ankle, the soles that were swollen, the, it's so big and bruised. I really have no idea how she could uh, walk with that uh, pain. She has come to me having faith in God for healing prayers. I couldn't give another glance at her badly bruised ankle and the pain I could see on her eye by looking at her. So I said to her quickly, okay, okay, I'll pray for you. I laid my hands on her and prayed for God's mercies and uh, healing. That night I couldn't sleep as this was coming on my mind and I prayed for her. The next day we had our first conference in Silgury I talked about women's role in peacemaking in family relationship. And again that night, I still couldn't get over with the feeling I experienced on Sunday and uh, couldn't sleep and prayed for this girl. The second day after the end of my session teaching to the women, I felt like I needed to share this story with the people who were attending the conference. I told the same story that I shared with you now and said we need your prayers for us as well for our encouragement to continue our mission work in India, not knowing that I would get to know more of this girl and her name as I didn't get a chance to talk to her on Sunday after the service. A lady stood up and said that uh, this girl's name is Mamata Sharma and uh, she was having the sores for the past several months and went to get treatment in hospitals, having no luck in recovery. And that was why she came to me for prayers. She also said that they started praying for our team from the time they heard that we were coming to India and they all gathered up to the front and uh, prayed for us. It was God's plan for me to have peace in knowing who she was to continue to pray for her. The scripture in James chapter 5 verse 15 to 16 reminds me, a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you will be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. 
I also would thank Emmy and all of you for your support in praying for us while we were in India. Thank you. Good morning. As uh, Christians greet each other in India in Hindi, Jai Masi. And this means praise the Lord. Now, my time in India was no short of incredible. It's filled with lots of ups and downs and many, many unforgettable memories. And people of India are, are truly as beautiful and diverse as the country itself. But my greatest joy in connect, was when, when connecting with the pastors and the leaders and getting a glimpse into what God was doing in their lives. But at the same time, hearing their faith stories, it challenged me in my own walk with God. And there was one young man in particular that I connected with at the second conference, and God has brought him back to mind many, many times over the last few weeks. And I want to share a bit of his story, as it both challenged and inspired me. Now, my brother, uh, Rajesh, who you'll see up there on the screen, he's a young man uh, who was spending his honeymoon at the conference. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't imagine trying to convince my fiancé uh, to spend our first few days as a married couple separated from each other at a conference. But nonetheless, they, they were there, and they had a lot of joy and excitement uh, to learn from God's Word. You could just see it in his eyes um, as we taught, the, the, just the engagement. He was soaking up everything that we were teaching him. And the picture up here is actually of him giving an impassioned recap of what God had taught him uh, during that, the conference. Uh, but as Rajesh uh, shared his story with me, his eyes filled up with tears. He was from a Hindu family, but not only was Rajesh from a Hindu family, he was from uh, the Brahmin caste. And a Brahmin is a member of the highest caste in Hinduism, and from, it's from which the, the priests and the teachers of the religion are drawn. So they're treated with very high honor and respect within the culture. And in, in his mid-twenties, uh, Rajesh became friends with Pastor Bobby, who Bob had told you about. He's the director of the, the Orphanage Grace Ashram, where the second conference was held. And Bobby took Rajesh under his wing, and he began teaching him about Jesus. And over time, God stirred Rajesh's heart, and he decided to follow Jesus. But when he went to tell his family about this choice and, and his upcoming baptism, they were irate, and they threatened him. They told him that if he went ahead with the baptism, he would be exiled from his family forever. He would lose his home. He would lose his family. He would lose his status and his honor in the culture. And he didn't know what to do. So he went to Bobby, his friend, and his brother for advice. And Bobby, knowing the sacrifice that would be made, he offered to adopt Rajesh into his own family. Rajesh weighed the cost of following Christ. He would be losing almost everything in choosing to take up his cross and follow Jesus. But what he realized is that what he would be gaining was worth so, so much more. He would be gaining Jesus himself. 
Rajesh went ahead with the baptism, and he was exiled from his family. And now he and his wife are living with Pastor Bobby's family. Rajesh's story challenged me as I transitioned towards life as a missionary and leaving behind friends and family, uh, moving to Ontario and then, and then later on to Africa. Um, it left me with a couple of questions that God brought to my mind. And what am I willing to sacrifice for the sake of Christ and for the gospel? And what am I willing to give of myself for a new believer to thrive as pa- Pastor Bobby did in adopting two, two new people into his family? We are all called to deny ourselves and to take up our cross in following Jesus. And this looks different for each person. And God is continuing to reveal to me what that cross looks like in my life. I'm so grateful that I had this opportunity to go to India, this awesome team, and to teach from God's word, but also to be able to learn from these men who have taken up their cross and what they have sacrificed for Jesus. And if I could have the ushers come forward for our special offering. And as Azar mentioned earlier, this is going to be going towards the schooling of 15 children in India uh, from the pastors that are being supported through Far Corners Ministry. And anything beyond uh, the $3,000 that we need uh, to support these children will be going towards uh, Youthquake uh, for Pathway Camp Ministry so students can attend Youthquake. If you would join me in prayer. Father God, we thank you for everything that you do for us. And in this season, as we reflect on on your son, that he came to earth, that he humbled himself as a servant, you've lavished us with so much love. And this morning, we lift up each of the pastors and their families that are supported by Far Corners Ministries They have given up and sacrificed so much for for the sake of the gospel and taking up their cross. And the little bit that we can do to bless them is in helping their children attend school. Children that you know intimately by name. You know each, each number of the hairs on their head. And you know their hearts and what they need, Lord. And I ask your that you would go with each of these children and their families ask your blessing on this offering this morning. In Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Tim, for you, I have Kleenex in my hand. I'm not sure I'll need it for myself, but just so you know, I'm thinking of you. He might might be clear later. We'll see. Um, My story of how India impacted me this trip actually started six years ago. And um, it started after um, we came back from the trip in 2010. I was on the first team that the church sent out then. And I remember definitely having learned a lot. And um, I remember feeling, but I also remember feeling in a daze like I, I didn't know what it all meant for me yet. Um, and that following uh, January, just a couple of months later, we started a study in the church um, on the book of Exodus. And we probably spent the next four or five months uh, going through it every Sunday. And I remember sitting in church, um, and every time, every week, it felt like those words were just for me. And 
I, I came to realize that um, it became clear that I, that I was like the Israelites, that I had gotten out of Egypt, but I hadn't ever gotten into the promised land. And the idea that I wasn't experiencing those riches that God had for me in a surrendered, loving relationship with him. And this is a hard realization to make after being a Christian for 35 years of my life. But the next five years have been and, and were really a time of un unprecedented growth in my life. Um, I started to understand, you know, and experience more of who God is and his promises for me. Um, sorry, I'm just kind of processing my next step here. Um, so over the last several years, every time a team has gone to India, um, friends have asked, are you going back? And every time I've said no, it's a hard trip. Dale, Dale talked about it in, in, as she talked. And this year I had two friends, um, both asked me, and after the second time I said no, I heard this voice in my head saying, but you haven't talked to me about it. And I realized that I was probably going to be doing something that I really wasn't wanting to do. But I told God that I would consider this, that I would spend time thinking about it, praying about it, and um, praying that he would lead me in this, in this direction, and that my heart would follow where I thought he was leading me to. And I felt like that's where he was leading me, but I said, Lord, I want to know through scripture. I want to know unequivocally that you want me to do this. I don't want to just assume that this voice I'm hearing inside of me is you saying this. And so for many, several weeks, every day in devotions, I was looking for the answer, and that doesn't usually work too well. But on a, a specific day, I, um, I just was able to surrender to him in, in listening to his word and just being in scripture with him and, and just, um, just not thinking about anything but the words that he was speaking to me and not, not looking for any answers. Um, and as I reflected back after I finished my time, I realized that I had gotten my answer. Um, and it came as I was reading the book of Acts in chapter 14, and it's the story of Paul, and talks about how he goes back to Antioch and to Iconium and to Lystra after he had been persecuted and after it had been hard. And it was the exact words that I needed to hear, and it, and it needed to address the exact issue that was holding me back from, from going again. And so, I, like everybody else, I put it in the application, and, and th so this fall I spent time getting ready for the sessions that we were to teach. And God put the theme of redemption on my heart, um, which is kind of an, a funny thing because I don't think I'd ever spent any time thinking about that word. So I kind of was like thinking back now, I think, where did that come from? But it obviously came very clearly from God. In late October, on the way to church one Sunday, um, I was having a conversation with God about some house cleaning that he was still doing in my life. And I remember saying to him that I'll take the next steps when I get back from India. Well, the saying, man plans, God laughs, comes to mind. Because barely 20 minutes later, God made it very clear that this was going to happen today, it was going to happen now. That was the Sunday that Terry started the morning off saying, those of you who know that there'll be a time of prayer at the end of the service, and those of you already know that you will need to come forward for prayer. And that was me. And I can't tell you exactly what happened that morning, but I can tell you I felt very free and much freer um, in there. And as I was in India sharing the words that God had given me about redemption, um, I realized that I had often lived in fear and doubt that my chains were broken and gone. I had this fear that I was just on a long leash, just uh, waiting any moment to be yanked back into that, into sinful ways. 
And, but by sharing the stories that God had placed in my heart about how um, Israel had been redeemed and the redemption of Rahab and the story of Ruth, I realized that that was my story too. And that morning that I went forward in church, that I had been able to experience redemption in a new way and really started to understand um, through personal experience what that was for me. During my devotions one day while we were away, I came upon Romans 6, 6, which again is a funny thing because I wasn't studying the book of Romans at the time. And it says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. In redemption, there is freedom, great freedom. And this picture on the screen behind me reminds me of freedom and how it feels to be free to no longer be a slave, but to be a child of God. Thank you. So I ran home between services to pick up the family. I knew Bob being a tie, Doug's in a tie, so I figured I'd better step it up a little bit and bring my Indian scarf to go with my Indian suit. <laughs> my children don't like it. <laughs> so look, um, I did not want to go to India. Yeah, well that's okay, not entirely the, tr the truth. When I first heard it announced in church, that Sunday I went home to Cheryl and I said, we're going back to India. I want to go. I want to go on this trip. And then I found out how long they were going for. November 9 to 26, going to be gone 16 days. And I said, no, no, it's too long. Uh, and we'll see if I can keep myself together any better in a second service than I did the first. But you see, with, with my Parkinson's, I have mostly good days. But there are those other days. And I looked at 16 days on the other side of the planet, and Cheryl not able to go with me. And I said, no, I'm not going. Um, I'm a bit of a wimp. And it just seemed too much. It seemed too hard. Now, if you happen to know my woman, my wife, she was having none of this. She came back and said, you're going. She said, you can, and God will provide, and you're going to go. I said, no. <laughs> and husbands, who won that argument? <laughs> Before God, I would not have been on that plane to India had she not made me. I would not have gone. I did not see it in myself to be able to, and it, it scared me. I would not have gone. So once I submitted, and I'm not quite sure how that works, but nonetheless, once I relinquished and relented and said I would go, I get a call from Shant Manuel saying, Tim, we would like you to speak on three, for three different times 
three separate messages, 45 minutes each, on the topic of the theology of suffering. And I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> like, what is that? Like, number one, it seems a little too personal. And two, what do I have to say to these people about suffering? Like, really? What do I have to say to the Dalits who live as some of the poorest people on the planet? What do I have to say to them about suffering? Rajesh, a young man who lost his family and everything for his faith. What do I have to say to him? A young pastor who rides 25 kilometers to church every day on his, every Sunday on his bike to minister to his flock. What do I have to say to him? Biplap. I came to love this young pastor. I'm not sure why he said it so often, but he would often say to me, he would say, Tim, you need to be grateful in everything. And it was like the words of God piercing my heart. It burned in me that I need to be grateful in all of this. Those words have continued with me to this day, reminding me that I need to be grateful that I've had this opportunity. I've had a hard time figuring out this India trip. It hasn't fit well. And it's taken me until this morning to kind of find a construct to be able to, to fit it in. And I don't know if any of you are runners, but if you've ever run any distance, I've had the opportunity to run a full marathon and a triathlon. And if you run any distance, you know that running can be hard. It is often not fun. In fact, it can be miserable. And that indeed was India. There were many times when it was simply not but if you're a runner and you've run and completed distances, you also know what it's like to f finish and cross that finish line. And the thrill of knowing that you have done the hard work, that you have run your race, and that you've done the job. I stand here this morning so very grateful, so very thankful that I have had the opportunity to run this race, that I finished the race it may not have been pretty. It may not have been the fastest. But I answered the call to my race. And I ran my race and I finished it. And I pray to God that it was in some way beneficial to those there as it was to me. Thank God. Good morning. My story is a lot different because I, on the other hand, really, really wanted to go on this mission. Having lived and worked with missionaries in the past, I have learned to value the work they perform. And so when Pastor Doug announced that our church was going to send a team to India, and after spending days and days in prayer, 
I was so excited. I decided to sign up, but God had different plans for me. Due to hand injury, which needed surgery, I had to pull out because my surgeon couldn't commit a specific date for my surgery. So even though I wasn't going on this mission, and I thank Pastor Doug from the bottom of my heart for this, because out of compassion for me, he encouraged me to continue to attend the meetings and to stay on with the team. And now because I value everything he says and because I always obey Pastor Doug, <laughs> I continued with the training and I'm glad I did for I was blessed with the wealth of information he provided at these meetings. But there still was a void in me, a feeling of sadness, sorrow, emptiness. So I turned to God. I prayed that God would give me understanding how I could still be a joyful participant and how I could still join him in what he is doing in India. Soon I had his answer, how I could still fit into his plan. He pointed me in the direction to intercede for Team India. So I made a plan to pray daily and made a list of ways I could consistently pray for them and build church-wide enthusiasm. I also turned to scripture verses that addressed my specific requests. The Bible has a lot to say on this subject. Missionaries often struggle with all sorts of challenging issues, and I know Team India had their share of challenges. But they were assured that they had fellowship support back home, and they had the assurance that they are loved by the church family that we prayed for their emotional well-being while they were battling their challenges. When Apostle Paul went on his missions, he asked believers to pray for him out of love for him. He wrote, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Romans 15, verse 30. He also knew that his missions brought good results because of those who prayed for him. He knew that their prayers were answered. In his letter to the Corinthians, he wrote, he will rescue us because you are helping by praying for us. As a result, many will give thanks to God because so many people's prayers for our safety have been answered. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 11. Our church family knows that prayer strengthens missionaries. In my heart, I believe that the direct result of our church family praying for our team in India truly helped the progress to bear fruit, to open doors for far corners to expand their ministry. So, Team India know that you were in our hearts every day and in our prayers. 
We prayed for doors to be opened for the message you took to far corners. We prayed for boldness in witnessing the gospel in India and for God's word to spread in that nation. We also prayed for God's guidance in your ministry as well as their ministry. We prayed for your safety and protection during your travels and for spiritual and physical strength and stamina, just to name a few. Missions are not our pastor's idea, nor is it our idea. It's God's idea. Since creation, it was God's intent to redeem all people from all nations to himself. It's God's desire for his glory to be known to all people on earth. I see missionaries as people who understand God's heart regarding those who never heard the gospel, as well as Christians who have great visions of expanding ministries where God is not glorified. Spreading the gospel is God's method of saving souls. This experience, praying for our team while they were away, has helped me to recognize that I need to try my best to draw people to God by praying for church missions. I now understand how essential it is that we continue to pray for God's global purpose and I have also learned to be joyful in all circumstances. Our prayers have an impact on the whole world. And now I'd like to share a poem with you that I came across by an unknown author. And it's called A Soul Winning Poem. Is there anything else that is better worth as a long life's way we plod than to find some wandering soul on earth and bring him back to God. I would rather find a soul that is lost and bring him home again than to own all earth's cost or all the wealth of men. Wouldn't I be glad when the day is done in breathing my latest breath to know a prayer of mine had one a saved soul from death. Thank you. Drop the mic. <laughs> as we uh, as we come to a close today, I uh, I hope that you have been encouraged by the stories of faith that you've heard from our team members. It's been a huge privilege to be part of this team. I also hope that more than that, what you've really been encouraged with is the faithfulness of God, and I hope it encourages you to trust God with whatever He's leading you as well. There will always be something that God is calling you to where you need to risk trusting Him. And he wants you to be able to do that because you can know that he's completely good and trustworthy. And so whatever that is in your life today, you say, Lord, I'm not sure about this, but I know you're calling. I encourage you. Christ encourages you. Say yes to God. That's where life will be found. For some of you, it might be a missions trip. We want to let you know that our next missions trip is being planned for this coming, Sunday, uh, this coming sun summer from August uh, 1st to the 15th. And uh, Pastor Terry and Pat will be leading this team. 
on, on uh, Sunday, January the 22nd at 7 o'clock. There will be an information meeting here at the church. So please, if it at all interests you, put that date on your calendar and come. We will also have a team going back to Garden Hill. That is the, uh, the, the First Nations Reserve that we've gone to each summer. And uh, so as we close, I just want to share one verse with you, and that's just John 3, verse 30. It says, he must increase and I must decrease. So another version, the NIV says, he must become greater and I must become less. If you want to know if you're following the will of God in your life, those words will start resonating with your heart. That your heart's desire is to see God glorified and for you and for I to be humbled before him and experience the great joy of being loved by the greatest person of all, to have your life in the care of our Heavenly Father. And so I hope, again, over this Christmas, that as we get busy in different ways of celebrating life and family, that we really do celebrate God, and that we think about how we can just acknowledge that He is the greatest, and we just want to find our, our rightful place in being humbled before Him and the great privilege of being His children. Please, Use every opportunity you have to share the good news of Jesus Christ with your neighbors, your friends, your family. We're meant to share our faith stories with each other so that we can be encouraged and grown in our faith. And I'm just going to ask Pastor Elf to come now and just uh, close us in a benediction. I, th I think today I'm going to have you all sitting. But I am, want you to imagine your bowing. We Baptists don't have kneelers in our pews, so I can't ask you to kneel. But kneeling before Almighty God is not a bad thing. And it's something in our hearts we need to do, so I want you to bow your heads and imagine you're kneeling. We're just an ordinary church. We're not one of these great, big, charismatic churches with bells and whistles in the service. We don't talk with great, grandiose ideas of what we want to do, and yet God has picked this church. To worship him, to love him. We started by talking about God's peace, the angels sang. We ended with our thrust of trying to bring peace to India. Just us, ordinary people. And we'd like to sort of look up to God and say, who? Us? We're not the biggest church in the city. That's not our biggest goal. But oh, 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 if God is touching us and calling us, let's respond to him with love, oh God. Show us your way. Like you've shown these who've gone to India. Show us your way like you've shown me in, in healing me of cancer. 
show us your way and the way that you have been moving quietly in the hearts of many people in this church. And may we say, thy will be done now and forever here and throughout the world. Amen.